You know, we, we have a special weekend. And I want to say, forget all the sales and forget all the discounts. That's not what Memorial Day is about. That's what they want to advertise it as, but that's not what it's about. I mean, let's remember the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice so that our freedoms that we enjoy, but sometimes we don't think about those so much. The fact that we can meet in this place unhindered, while on the other side of the world they are killing Christians because of their faith. We have a tremendous freedom that we should never, ever take for granted. Remember those who continue to serve. Those who are out there today defending our freedoms. They're still in harm's way. I want to say teach your kids to honor and respect those who have served and are still serving in the military. Because it is an honorable service to our country. You know, in a speech made in 19, excuse me, 1863, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, in wealth and power, as no other nation has ever grown. But we've forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched us and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. You know, even as we remember those who have given their lives for our freedoms, we often face that, I want to say, age-old question of life after death. You know, it seems like when grief touches us, when we remember those who have died, we remember that we are mortal beings. I think that everybody should go to at least one funeral and one wedding every year. It helps us stay in touch with reality, with where we're at. Deep down in the human heart, this question has to be answered once for us to be prepared to live. I mean, that's what we do. We prepare people to die so that they can live. And if you know where you're going, you don't worry about what's happening here. Renault said this, he said, The day in which the belief in the afterlife shall vanish from the earth will witness a terrific moral and spiritual decadence. There is no lever capable of raising an entire people if once they have lost faith in the immortality of the soul. Our nation is going through a crisis of belief. Where we've lost our moorings. We've lost that foundation. 
And young people today, now more than ever, some in my wife's seventh grade class, are questioning life. Life after death. All of those key issues that we must answer. You know, when the gospel was first carried into Britain by the messengers of the cross, a striking incident took place at the court of Edwin, the king of Northumbria. And the great hall was lit with torches and a crowd had gathered to hear the teachers of this new religion and what they had to say. And there was a grim earl that asked, Can the new religion tell us what lies beyond? He said, Man comes out of the mystery of eternity and passes through the light of this world and then moves on into the the mystery of eternity beyond. Does this new religion tell us what lies beyond? beyond death see Job asked that same question and in the New Testament Paul gives us the answer in 2nd Timothy he said Christ Jesus who abolished literally destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel I love that our Savior our Lord abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel you know as Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples were troubled they were upset they were anxious about things and I say well kind of what things were they anxious about I mean Jesus said some things. He he said that one of them, he said that he was going to leave. And then he said one of them was going to betray him. And then he also said that one of them was going to deny him. I mean, this is a close group of people. These are people who had lived life on life for the past three years. They'd been together almost nonstop. But you see, these fears, fears of death, Fears of betrayal, fears of denial. They come in. They come in like hurricanes sweeping over a a serene harbor. And anchored in the shallows are our little boats of faith. And they're easily dashed against the rocks by fear's fury. The things that we fear the things that make us upset, the things that consume us. What if, what if, what if? See, Christ is reassuring his disciples when he tells them, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I mean, this really sounds like our part, doesn't it? That we're not supposed to let our hearts be troubled. They're not supposed to let our hearts be agitated or anxious or worried or bothered or disturbed or uneasy or apprehensive or fearful or uh, perturbed or bothered, distressed, disquieted, fretful, nervous, edgy, antsy, on edge, tense, overwrought, worked up, keyed up, jumpy or worried, sick. Because all of those words describe who we are, and what we do. See, Jesus had been telling them ahead of time that he was going to die on a cross, that he was going to die, and that the Father, the Heavenly Father, would glorify him. 
In the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, verse 33, he says this. He says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And Thomas said, excuse me, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. That's big news. You will follow later. See, John 14 is Jesus' answer to these questions. He seeks to comfort his disciples and about what's to take place real soon. And he wants to strengthen them for the difficult time that is coming. Church family, difficult times are coming. Just because you may be comfortable now doesn't mean you will remain comfortable. Difficult times are coming and you need to strengthen your heart. You need to strengthen your resolve. You need to strengthen your faith now. Don't wait. Read with me in John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it is enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, otherwise I otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that even in this moment, that you would illuminate your words in our heart. Father, that... That your Holy Spirit would convict us of all truth. And that in that, Father, we would recognize your sovereignty, your grace, your mercy, your love. Father, thank you for loving us 
so much that you gave Jesus to atone, to sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Guide us in his name we pray. Amen. I want to help you note five simple facts about this passage. And we're going to move through them rather quickly. But the first one is that Jesus calls for his disciples' trust. He calls for his disciples' trust. Jesus never said that to follow him, it would be an easy way. Most of the time, the things that we do in life, we look for an easy way to do it. Jesus doesn't say it would be an easy way. In fact, he told them that following him would bring about many difficulties. So Christian, gird up your loins. Get ready. It's going to be difficult. The path is going to be arduous. But he did say it would be worth it. He didn't say it would be easy. He did say it would be worth it. Over in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said it this way himself. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But be aware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say for it is not you who speak but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you I did not intend this message to be a Bible drill but it may turn into that and that's okay we need familiarity with our scriptures Jesus also said in Matthew 16, 24, he said, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We have to do that. And at the same time, Jesus informed his disciples that their trials were going to be worth it all. That whatever you go through as a disciple... Whatever it costs you as a disciple, whatever reputation it costs you, whatever you have to give up for the sake of me and my kingdom, it will be worth it in the end. That is the promise. See, as we go through the many hardships in our lives, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus and completely trust him. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we're in the midst of the storm. Even when sailing is smooth. Keep your eyes on Jesus. See these verbs in chapter 14 verse 1 are imperative. uh, They're present imperatives. And they have the sense of keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing. 
Only believe and there will be peace. That's what it says in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you. I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. Church, we need to take this as encouragement. When it looks like the world around us is going to hell in a handbasket. When we're not crazy about this or that that's going on in our nation. When we're, not cra- when we're crazy about all the junk that's out there. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Keep your eyes stayed on Jesus. Amen. That relationship with him. Stay there. You see, he says in Isaiah 26, 3. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace. That shalom, that sense of well-being, the completeness, the wholeness. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Oh, we put our trust in a lot of different things. I hope you're not putting it in our government. I hope you're not putting the trust in the bank. Or in bonds or in the stock market or anything else. I hope you're putting your trust where it belongs. Because if your mind is stayed on Christ, you will have peace. But I would say the opposite is true. Maybe the reason we don't have peace is because our minds aren't stayed on Him. You see, personal faith to a personal God... Brings great personal strength. See with with God nothing is impossible. That's the God we serve. So whatever it is that we're going through. Whatever the, the situation might be. He is greater than that situation. And in that you can have peace. To know that he's working it out for your good. Personal faith. Personal belief in a personal God. Brings personal strength. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples about heaven. And he says there, he calls for their their trust, but he also points out his function. I love this. Verse 2 says, for I go to prepare. I go to prepare a place for you. Here's a word picture for you. You know, in the harbor of Alexandria, it was a very difficult approach And so as these big ships that carried corn would come into the port of Alexandria, much like what we would call our barges today that was carrying grain into the port, they had a a little pilot boat, if you will, that would guide those large ships in and through so they could make safe passage to the port. Well, those pilot boats were called prodromi, prodromi. Let me give you another picture. I'm from Oregon. I'm from Oregon, and I understand the concept of a trailblazer. You know, the Oregon Trail? Someone who is making a, a trail where there wasn't one before, making a path where there wasn't one. Well, well, Jesus, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus 
is blazing the trail for his disciples, and he clears the way so they could follow in his steps. In the King James Version and the Revised Standard Version, it calls this prodromo a forerunner. A forerunner. And in the Roman army, the prodromi were the reconnaissance troops. You remember Tyler? The fellow that uh, uh, him and his wife Jessica dedicated their baby to the Lord last Sunday? He left to go prepare in Korea the place for his troops so that it would be ready when his troops got there. He was a prodromi. He was a forerunner to go get it ready. Okay? These forerunners, this reconnaissance group, in, 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 they went ahead of the main body to blaze the trail. And Jesus explained to his disciples that he was blazing the way to heaven. He was making the path to heaven. So his disciples could follow in his steps. And his resurrection and his ascension into heaven proved it. Let me take this just a little bit further. Now watch this. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. (laughs) That means it doesn't move. It's sure and steadfast. And one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner, a prodromai. I go to prepare a place for you, a prodromai, a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I love that. He's the forerunner. He's the one blazing the trail for you and for me and for his disciples. And he's telling them, I go to prepare a place for you. It's like that song. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. He's the prodromai. He's preparing for us a place. Thirdly, Jesus encourages his disciples by telling them about his ultimate triumph. I mean, we live in a world that doesn't offer a whole lot of hope, a whole lot of encouragement to the child of God. It's depressing. You read the news. You see the things that are going on, the things that I want to say should be unspeakable. And people are talking about it. And it's out there. With sin, with crime, with ungodliness abounding everywhere, it's easy for us to become discouraged. It's easy for us to become disillusioned or disappointed. That's why we need to remember where we're going. We need to remember why we're on this journey. Because Jesus said in verse 3, he said, I will come again. (laughs) Hallelujah! I will come again. Man, I love this. I love knowing that history has a, a consummation. It has an ending, if you will, that Jesus will be the victor. We talk about victory in Jesus 
but we don't act like we believe it. Otherwise, we'd be grinning from ear to ear. We'd be saying, let me tell you what's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. But I read the end of the story and I know how it ends. If you go there with me in Revelation chapter 1. I love this. John, he says to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from God who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. The ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. That's the God we serve. That's who we've given our allegiance to. That's whom we've signed on with. That's who our commitment is to. Our commitment is to Jesus Christ. Not to Memorial Baptist Church. Yes, this is his bride. But our commitment is to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our commitment is not to this world. It's to him. Jesus is teaching his disciples about heaven. These are in the last days that he's getting ready to depart. And he's saying, this is the essence of what you need to know. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm coming again for you. I love this. Fourthly, Jesus promises his disciples that they will be with him forever. Forever. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be amongst them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, no crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Hallelujah. Isn't that the day we are looking forward to? You know, a preacher from a, another time. The question is, what is heaven like? R.G. Lee said this. He said, it's the most beautiful place the mind of God could conceive and the hand of God could create. How beautiful heaven must be. How gorgeous, how wonderful. It's got to be pretty good. I've seen some really beautiful places. You have too. Places you feel like, I just want to live here forever. But that's here on this earth. I mean, think about this. He's preparing a place for us. (laughs) It's going to be real good. It's going to be awesome. You know, John uses this picture in Revelation 
he described heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, a young lady is never more beautiful than on her wedding day. In all probability, more, more uh, effort, more attention, more money have gone into that appearance than maybe any other time in her lifetime. And when she appears at the head of the aisle, walking there in the arm of her father to be presented to the groom, she is literally the personification of purity and beauty. It's no accident that John tells us and uses that illustration to help us understand the beauty and the wonder of heaven. I mean, no more effort, more, more resources than anything else. What a blessing. Lastly, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. Jesus is the truth. He's the only truth. And Jesus is the life. He's the only life. I mean, Jesus alone is the way to the Father. He alone can lead us into God's presence without shame or without fear. R.C. Sproul, he points out that the notion that all religions are valid is logically impossible. Because if all religions are valid, then Christianity is valid. But Jesus said he is the only way to God, which eliminates all other ways. So either he was right or he was wrong. And R.C. Sproul concludes, he said, if he was wrong, then Christianity has no validity at all. But if he was right, then there is no other way. See, Jesus' promise to prepare for us a place is made certain by his resurrection. And what I want to say is that heaven then is not, you know, some kind of uh, merely a state of mind like some people might think, you know, when they, when they say phrases and they, they really aren't sure about what heaven is. But I would say this to you, like Warren Wiersbe said, a prepared place, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. People who have given their heart and given their life to Jesus Christ. See, in a way, Jesus' resurrection is a, a pledge of our own resurrection. That on that day, the same power that we just sang about, that rose Jesus from the grave, lives in us. Lives in us. And one day, Jesus will fulfill the promise of the Scriptures. I love, I love Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, You will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a scripture. To know that we're going to be blessed for all eternity. You know, E. Stanley Jones, he told of a missionary who lost his way in an African jungle. 
And I love this because he couldn't find any landmarks. He was looking, but he couldn't find any landmarks. And, and the trail vanished. And eventually he was stumbling through and he found this small hut. And there was a, a native sitting there. And, and, and he went up to him and he asked him if he could help him find his way out. And he nodded and he said he could. And so rising to his feet, he, he walked directly into the, the jungle. And the missionary followed on his heels. And for more than an hour, they hacked their way through this uh, dense jungle with vines and, and other obstacles. And the missionary became worried and he said, are you sure this is the way? I don't see any path. And the native chuckled as he looked over his shoulder. And he said, Wana? In this place, there is no path. He said, I am the path. See, Jesus doesn't just point us to the way in the distance. He doesn't send us a map. He doesn't, he doesn't give directions and says, you know, turn left here, or turn right here. But rather, he grabs us by the hand and he shows us the way. What a blessing that is to each of us. Thomas Akempis, he said it beautifully when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you should pursue, the truth which you should believe, and the life which you should hope for. See, heaven is real. Jesus is talking about it to his disciples. And we know that by faith. And we know that because God said so. And his words are true and faithful. And they can be relied on to come to pass. My dear friend and mentor, Paul Powell, he passed away recently. But he shared about holding a revival service in, in, in Mertens, Texas. And he was eating in the, uh, the, the home of a church member there when he noticed an inscription above the, the mantle. And it said, In my father's house are many mansions. I hope yours is next to mine. I hope yours is next to mine. Because that's where I'm going. You know, this is so important. That's the hope that we have in Christ. And that's the thing that we can be certain about. I mean, the Apostle Paul, writing to the young Timothy, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Folks, that is our hope. That is our desire. That is our commitment. You see, he has gone to prepare a place for us. But don't forget, he's preparing us for a place.